The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. This is your tech news briefing for Thursday, February 23rd. I'm Zoe Thomas for The Wall Street Journal. Two cases before the Supreme Court this week could reshape the rules of the internet. Both raise questions about whether online platforms like YouTube and Twitter should be held accountable for the content posted by their users. WSJ reporter Jan Wolf joins us to discuss the arguments, the key differences between the cases, and how the justices approached them. That's after these headlines. Elon Musk is moving Tesla's headquarters back to California, just two years after he shifted operations to Texas. At that time, Musk said California was taking its innovators for granted. Musk made the announcement with the state's governor, Gavin Newsom, on Wednesday. The electric vehicle maker's new global engineering hub will be in Palo Alto, at the former head of another famous California brand. Here's Musk at the event. We're excited to announce that uh, Tesla's global engineering headquarters will be right here, the former headquarters of Hewlett Packard. And uh, this is, I think, a poetic transition from the company that founded Silicon Valley to Tesla. And we're very excited to yeah, make this our global engineering headquarters. JP Morgan is restricting employees from using artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT. According to a person familiar with the matter, the bank didn't restrict the chatbot because of any particular incident. Other organizations have also restricted the use of ChatGPT. Verizon barred it from corporate servers last week, saying it could lose ownership of customer information or source code that employees put into the chatbot. OpenAI, the maker of ChatGPT, didn't respond to a request for comment. The restrictions come as Microsoft rolls out a new version of its search engine powered by the tech behind ChatGPT onto Apple and Android devices, despite some early glitches. In a blog post, Microsoft said new versions of Bing and the Edge browser app for smartphones and tablets would be available starting Wednesday. Some early testers of the AI-powered tool say they have received inaccurate and sometimes bizarre replies. Our reporter Sarah Needleman said in response, Microsoft added some restrictions last week. Microsoft said the glitches were happening because people were asking too many questions in one session and just too many questions overall. So the company put a cap on it and they did say that they plan to remove that cap at some point in the near future because people were pretty unhappy. And Amazon completed its nearly $4 billion purchase of One Life Healthcare, which operates one medical primary care clinics. The deal, which closed yesterday, gives Amazon access to dozens of medical offices in more than 20 U.S. markets, as well as partnerships with thousands of companies to provide health benefits to employees. Amazon's announcement comes a day after the Federal Trade Commission said it would not sue in time to block the deal, but an agency spokeswoman said the regulator would continue to investigate the merger. All right, coming up, two cases before the Supreme Court could upend the status quo of the Internet. Are the justices buying the arguments? We'll discuss. That's after the break. 
The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed, and Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. This week, the U.S. Supreme Court heard two cases that could change how the Internet works. In the first, Gonzalez v. Google, the family of a victim of an ISIS terrorist attack in Paris, is arguing YouTube, which is owned by Google, should be held liable because it recommended ISIS videos to users. In the second, Twitter v. Tomne, the family of a victim of another ISIS attack in Istanbul, is seeking compensation from social media platforms on the grounds that the platforms aided and abetted terrorism. At the heart of both is a provision known as Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. The law from 1996 shields tech companies from liability for what users publish on their platforms. And, as some listeners will remember, it's been the subject of debate for the last few years. Joining us with more on the arguments, the implications, and how the justices are reacting is WSJ reporter Jan Wolf. Hi, Jan. Thanks for being here. Hi. There are two cases here before the Supreme Court. Can you tell us why they haven't been combined? So, yeah, there's two cases that are very similar. In one case, it's relatives of someone who died in an ISIS attack in France. And then in the other, it's uh, relatives of someone who died in an ISIS attack in Istanbul. But the cases are very similar, raise, you know, similar legal issues. We don't know exactly why the court didn't hold the arguments on the same day combined, but it's probably because as these cases worked up through the lower courts, they were decided on separate grounds. The one argued on Tuesday, Gonzalez versus Google, more directly tees up Section 230, this really important internet law that a lot of people want to revisit. That's because the lower court dismissed the case based on Section 230. But the case argued on Wednesday, Twitter versus Tomney, the outcome wasn't determined by Section 230. The lower court just said there wasn't sufficient allegations to make out a case that Twitter and other platforms had aided terrorism. So it was just dismissed on more conventional grounds. And so I think that's uh, the main difference in the cases and probably why they weren't argued together. Okay, let's talk a bit more about the arguments that are being made. Given that Section 230 is meant to shield companies from liability, how are the families making cases that the platforms here should be held accountable? Section 230 generally shields platforms from liability over what users are doing. But, you know, it's not ironclad. Once you're crossing into the threshold of being a publisher of your own material, then you obviously don't get the protection. And what's at stake here is really algorithms and where they fall into the Section 230 analysis. At least the way the case was presented on the briefs, it offered up this interesting question that some of the justices maybe seem sympathetic to that algorithmic recommendations like you get on YouTube or at that point, YouTube making a recommendation to the viewer and not just sort of being a conduit for what other people are posting. And so that Section 230 should not apply. How are the companies responding? Well, I do think the companies make a couple of very important factual 
points that are not in dispute. One is, for instance, that these terrorist attacks in which the plaintiff's family members died were not planned on the platforms. You know, with the Istanbul attack, it's not like that was being planned and coordinated over Twitter. The argument is that generally these platforms allowed ISIS to flourish and that therefore they should be liable for these specific attacks. So I think one thing you've seen is the lawyers for the tech companies kind of bringing up this idea of, well, are we really aiding and abetting anything? No, we don't think we are. We were just offering the same services that we make available to everybody. And if you say that we're aiding terror, um, you can think of other types of organizations, charities, media companies who might then be found to have done the same thing. And it's a dangerous, slippery slope. Okay, but the opinions that really matter are those from the justices. I just want to play a few clips from the proceedings. In Gonzalez v. Google, the justices compared the situation to, you know, a bookseller. They compared it to a telephone company. And actually, here's Justice Clarence Thomas making the comparison to holding a phone company liable for, say, connecting somebody to the head of Islamic State. I mean, if you call uh, information and ask for Abadadi's uh, number and they give it to you, I don't see how that's aiding and abetting. And I don't understand how a neutral suggestion about something that you've expressed an interest in uh, is aiding and abetting. I just don't, I don't understand it. And I'm trying to get you to explain to us how something that is standard on YouTube for virtually anything that you have an interest in suddenly amounts to aiding and abetting because you're in the ISIS category. What does that tell us about how the justices understand the situation and do those comparisons help them? I think that a really common thing for justices to do, particularly at oral argument, is talk about hypotheticals because it helps them with line drawing. You know, how can we create some bright line rules that lower courts can apply going forward? So we saw a lot of that here, and I think the internet law stuff really lends itself to that, where you have justices making these hypotheticals to non-digital environments because it just helps them get their head around it. Justice Kagan got some jokes when she said, look, look around, we're not the nine great experts on the internet here. And so I think there was a lot of that. I think the oral arguments were a bit of a slog at times, according to a lot of people who are commenting in real time, because it is just really difficult sometimes to do this kind of line drawing and to also create rules that are good tech policy. Ultimately, that's Congress's job and the court is very aware of that. That's one reason I think they want to tread carefully. They're interpreting Section 230. They don't want to get in the way of Congress making new laws that reign in Section 230. That's Congress's job. Right. I actually want to play another clip from Kagan. This is a statute that was written at a different time when the Internet was completely different. But the problem that the statute is um, uh, trying to address is you're being held responsible for what is another person's defamatory remark. Now, in my example, you're not being held responsible for another person's defamatory remark. You're being held responsible for your choice in broadcasting that defamatory remark to millions and millions of people who wouldn't have seen it otherwise through this pro-defamatory algorithm. And the question is, you know, should 230 really be taken to go that far? Is this a sign that justices are maybe leaning towards addressing 230 at all? Maybe saying, you know, this shouldn't go quite as far as some of the platforms have allowed it to? 
So my sense is that there was a lot of concern or optimism, depending on who you ask, that this would be the case where the justices limit 230, which some people say is long overdue. I don't think that's going to be the case now based on the oral argument. It's always really hard to read the tea leaves and interpret oral argument. But the consensus among people who have some expertise who watched this was that the court just doesn't see this as a good vehicle for revisiting Section 230. This case really teed up algorithms and whether recommended content is the platform's making their own sorts of publishing that, you know, is not what Section 230 is about. But I think as the justices delved more into it, they just didn't see any bright lines here. What does that mean for big tech companies? Will that just maintain the status quo? These companion cases really had the potential to reshape the internet fundamentally. And they still do, because we don't know how the court's going to rule. It's going to take some months before we get a decision. But just based on the oral argument and the comments we heard from the justices, this case is probably not going to be the one that upsets the status quo. The court tends to release the real blockbuster decisions at the very end of the term. So, you know, my guess would be like late June is probably when we're going to get a ruling, but it could come earlier. All right. That was our reporter, Jan Wolf. Thanks for joining us, Jan. Yeah, you bet. And that's it for today's tech news briefing. If you want more tech stories, check out our website, wsj.com. And if you like our show, please rate and review it. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Zoe Thomas from The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com Claude.